Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us today for Therapeutics Thursday podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Megan Adelman, and I'm a family medicine pharmacy specialist at Cleveland Clinic Akron General. I will be your host today for the ASHP Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. With me today are Caitlin Grossman, clinical pharmacy specialist in infectious disease clinic at Tufts Medical Center, and Diane Kim, an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist in primary care and cardiology at Penn Presbyterian Medical Center. Thanks so much for joining me today, Caitlin and Diane. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Megan. Absolutely. Let's get started talking about today's topic, updates to HIV prevention pharmacotherapy. It's a great time to talk about this. I hear recent guidelines were just updated for HIV prevention. Diane, can you take it away and tell me what some of the main points are that pharmacists should know from this guideline update? The CDC updated their pre-exposure prophylaxis, or the um, PrEP for short, for the prevention of HIV in December of 2021. And prior to this, the latest guideline was from 2017. One of the key updates that I want to note is that the added recommendation to inform all sexually active adults about PrEP and to really normalize discussing the sexual history to assess for its indication. So one of the main goals from this guideline seems to be to really increase the awareness of PrEP and to strongly encourage clinicians to routinely and proactively incorporate this into patient discussions at their visits, especially for those patients who are confirmed to be sexually active. Prior guidelines only included one therapeutic option, which was the Truvada, and this is the tenofovir disproxyl femorate formulation with the emtricitabine. The new 2021 guideline now added two additional medications as treatment options. There are also updated recommendations for renal monitoring as well. Wow, lots to share. Um, Diane, I think you highlighted that quite well. Can you guys please explain to me when you define all sexually active adults, what is that? And then when I'm at visits, what should I be discussing in uh, those appointments? So if any patient has a history of anal or vaginal sex in the past six months, and they either have an HIV positive sexual partner, or if they have bacterial STI in the past six months, which this is the case because it could provide evidence of the sexual activity that could also result in the exposure for HIV, or if they have a history of inconsistent or no condom use with a sexual partner, then it's recommended to prescribe PrEP for these patients. Now, if they don't meet any of these indications, the guidance is still to discuss the risk, discuss the benefits, and prescribe it if the patient does request for it. There's no longer specified guidance related to men who have sex with men or heterosexual males or females, etc. It's clearly generalized for applying to any patient who is sexually active. And the guidance for discussing and prescribing PrEP in the patients who inject drugs, that did not change. Caitlin, the CDC isn't the only one who updated their guidelines for PrEP, right? Do you want to point out some of the current or upcoming updates from the standpoint of the United States Preventative Services Task Force? Yeah, um, it was really exciting change. I think it was back in 2019 where the USPSTF guidelines made a PrEP guidance. So they gave a grade A recommendation, meaning a strong recommendation for benefit that clinicians should offer PrEP to persons at high risk of HIV. These guidelines are currently going through an update. um, So we'll probably have an update ready for community comments soon. This is likely just to update uh, recommendations for the newer PrEP agents that we're gonna be talking about today. So lots more to come, um, but I'm excited to chat. Well, great lead in then for one of my other questions Diane brought up initially. So it sounds like there's some new medications that were added. What should pharmacists know about these new medicines? 
So I can talk about the Descovy formulation. This is the tenofibril alafenamide with the emtricitabine combination. It's also the once daily oral option for patients, similar to the Truvada. And one of the main things to keep in mind regarding the Descovy is that it's only approved in men or transgender females. Descovy was not studied in women or patients who are at exposure for HIV risk from receptive vaginal sex. So the only option for these patients would still be that Truvada medication. It's also important to keep in mind the creatinine clearance cutoff for infant of Descovy, which is um, 30 milliliters per minute. And another clinical pearl to keep in mind about Descovy is the metabolic precaution with Descovy. Trials have suggested triglyceride elevation and weight gain that can be associated with Descovy. And so there is consideration that there's long-term risk with this agent in patients who are having cardiovascular risk factors. So in general, um, patients should monitor the lipid panel and weight annually if they are taking this medication. Caitlin, I know there's an injectable one that your clinic is starting to use a little bit more. Can you comment on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Cabotegravir, um, which is now has a new brand name, Acritude, was approved also just at the end of uh, 2021. This, unlike Descovy and Truvada, it's a different class of medication. So it is an integrase inhibitor, and it's a long-acting injectable option for HIV prevention, um, which is a, kind of the first option that we've had for long-acting for PrEP. It is a gluteal intramuscular injection that at maintenance uh, dosing is only administered every eight weeks, which is pretty fantastic. I was studied in MS, in men who have sex with men, in transgender women, and in cisgender women. And all of these studies were actually stopped early due to the superiority of cabotegravir over Truvada. So it was more effective, prevented more HIV infections. In the studies, they, they did do an oral lead-in period of about 30 days for tolerability, but when it was approved, that oral lead-in is now an optional choice because there were so few adverse events leading to discontinuation. One other thing I'll note is that even though cabotegravir was superior to Truvada, there were a few rare cases of HIV infection in the cabotegravir arm, even when patients were receiving the drug on time as per schedule. In a few of those cases of HIV, their diagnosis uh, was delayed weeks or even months in some cases. And this is thought to be due to a delayed HIV antibody formation since the patient has such active drug level in their body. In these cases, patients did end up developing drug-resistant HIV. And this led to one of the major changes in this guideline with monitoring. So people who receive injectable cabotegravir for PrEP, they will actually require HIV screening every two months rather than every three months. And the screening needs to be with an HIV viral load rather than just a traditional antigen antibody screening that we'll do for people on oral PrEP. And the long-acting nature of this drug is a major benefit for adherence, but also has some drawbacks. This long pharmacokinetic tail means that Patients have detectable levels of cabotegravir for up to a year after their last injection. So if someone stops this drug for some reason and remains at risk for HIV, they need continuation on an alternative PrEP therapy, so like Truvada or Descovy, um, for up to a year following the last injection. And the last thing I'll leave you with as a, as a pearl for cabotegravir, as a pharmacist, we're always concerned about, you know, look-alike, sound-alike drugs. There's a high risk for confusion with the long-acting injection for HIV treatment, which is cabotegravir in combination with rilpivirine. That brand name is Cabinuva. So just an important thing to highlight when uh, we're prescribing for either treatment or prevention. 
Well, thank you, ladies, for that excellent review. Some really great clinical pearls in terms of considerations. I think, you know, as a family medicine pharmacist, I'm surprised by I still get questions about PrEP when I think that this really falls under the purview of infectious disease. So I think this is great that we're having these conversations about access because I, I don't think it is anymore just limited to infectious disease. I'm going to loop back to Diane earlier had commented that there was some changes in renal monitoring and some outstanding guidance. Can you discuss this a little bit more? Absolutely. So all patients starting PrEP need a baseline serum creatinine to calculate their creatinine clearance. So for the Truvada, um, the creatinine clearance should be above 60 because there's no safety data for using Truvada below this threshold. On the other hand, like I had mentioned earlier, the creatinine clearance for Desescovi is more generous with a threshold of 30 or higher at initiation. And in terms of monitoring, Previously in 2017, it was a blanket recommendation for all PrEP patients to have renal function monitored every six months. Now, the updated guidelines advise to monitor according to the patient's age or their creatinine clearance at the time of initiation. So if the patients are over 50 or if their baseline creatinine clearance is less than 90, then they should continue with the every six month monitoring because an observational study had suggested that these patients were just more likely for decreasing renal function. Otherwise, if the patients are younger than 50 or if their creatinine clearance is greater than 90, these patients can monitor their renal function every 12 months. For the visual listeners here, there's a nice table that outlines the monitoring parameters in this updated CDC guideline, which is actually on page 15 under table 1A. And for the patients who are renally compromised where Truvada or Discovia are not an option, the cabotegravir that Caitlin mentioned is an option. They also don't need to be monitored for renal function periodically. There's also a nice table summarizing this, um, the monitoring parameters for cabotegravir on the following page on page 16. Diane, thanks for that update and that review. My final question is kind of a broad one, but I feel like as pharmacists, not only do we talk about the counseling for the medications, but frequently we're also addressing some of the access issues, the social determinants of health. Caitlin, I, I know you frequently discuss this with patients and really help on the interdisciplinary team. Can you discuss some of these access concerns that we may have? Of course. I think this is a huge role for the pharmacy team. We need more people on PrEP than currently are. And if they can't afford it or can't get the drug, then there's no way that they can take it. So I'm going to break down a little bit between the oral treatments of the injectables just to make it a little bit easier to go through. So for the oral agents, Truvada and Descovy, the biggest difference is that Truvada is now available as a generic. Um, this is great for accessibility because the price just keeps going down and down as more uh, generics enter the market. So most insurances with the update to the USPSTF guidelines will now cover Truvada at least, maybe Descovi as well, for a $0 copay um, since it has a grade A recommendation. I have run into a few plans where they require a prior authorization to confirm that it's being used for prevention instead of treatment, but then they'll cover it for $0. So that would be the first thing I would recommend is try a prior authorization to get that low copay. If patients have unaffordable copays, um, Gilead, the drug manufacturer for both brand name Truvada and, and Descovi, they have copay assistance cards. This can be used for Descovi and brand name Truvada, and that's for people who have commercial insurance. There are plenty of programs that can help with people who are uninsured or underinsured. The manufacturer program has a patient assistance program for uninsured patients, and there's also a federal program called Ready, Set, Prep that will help cover the cost of drug for patients without insurance. On top of the federal programs and the manufacturer programs, a lot of states have independent programs that can help cover the cost of PrEP. 
Um, for example, I'm in Massachusetts and we have a program called PrepDAP, and this covers the cost of copays for anyone who is uninsured or who can't afford their copays. So this has been a major help for patients on Medicare or government funded insurance that have really high copays since they can't use the copay cards. Now, injectable PrEP is a, a very different ballgame. This is being administered in a healthcare setting, and so the coverage can be a lot more variable. Some insurances will cover it under pharmacy benefits, and some will cover it under medical benefits. I know for us, this is taking us a little while to get used to. Personally, it's been much easier for us when patients can get the med covered under pharmacy benefits because we know the cost up front. They're able to use copay cards or prep debt funds. When we do have to use the medical benefits or buy-in bill, as some people people call it. This can be a little bit bigger of a challenge for pharmacists and clinics who aren't used to doing this type of drug billing or administration. So you need to make sure in advance that the drug is going to be covered by the insurance. Otherwise, the patient or even maybe the clinic will be stuck with the cost of the drug, which is thousands of dollars for per injection. So for the first few patients in your practice that you use cabotegravir for, I would encourage working with the manufacturer program. So the drug company is called Vive, and they have a service called Vive Connect that can help do benefits investigations to ensure that the drug is covered by insurance and will also review payment options like copay assistance or patient programs. Because it's such a new option for PrEP, the injectable, I'm unsure if the federal Ready, Set, PrEP program is going to help cover the cost of it. And this is probably just going to take a little bit of time for those programs to update their um, inclusion criteria. So overall, I know it might sound a little complicated, but I just want you to know that there's plenty of options to help patients get access to their PrEP. Um, and I think that's incredibly important because of the number of people who would benefit from taking these agents. Caitlin, thanks so much for addressing that. I, I definitely agree with you that these are things that we need to consider to make sure that we don't have any access issues. Both to Diana and Caitlin, I think you guys highlighted some really great conversation pieces as well as considerations that we really need to think about as pharmacists to help increase that access and help with the provider's comfortability for prescribing. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you both again, Caitlin Grossman and Diane Kim, for joining me to discuss the updates to HIV prevention and pharmacotherapy. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's Ambulatory Care Resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Ambulatory Care Career Toolkit, certification resources, rotation guide, guidelines, policies, and information on billing and reimbursement. Be sure to also become a member of the section of Ambulatory Care Practitioners Connect community where you can exchange ideas and ask questions from your peers. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in for this session and join us here every Thursday where we will be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.